0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 164 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live. On this fine Monday evening as the Atlanta Hawks lose, unfortunately, their fourth consecutive game... By a final of 105 to 90 in Charlotte, uh, this was a, a another rough performance for the Hawks. Uh, you know, not entirely unexpected given the fact that Paul Millsap and Kent Bazemore did not play in this game. Of course, Paul Millsap is the more important player there, despite the fact that you know it's never fun to play without you know a starting caliber wing and Bazemore, even though he's not been great this season. But Millsap is, of course, the big absence for Atlanta, and with this loss, this is now four straight, uh, it's four straight overall for the Hawks and for the season. The Hawks are now 0-5 without Paul Millsap in the lineup. In those five losses, there is a two-point loss, which came to the Phoenix Suns, uh, and then after that, every single loss has been a blowout, a 36-point loss, a 44-point loss, a 16-point loss against the Trailblazers in which which the Hawks trailed 23-5 in the first quarter, and and then of course tonight a 15 point loss on the road against the Charlotte team that is nothing nothing great uh, to, to be sure this season they've definitely struggled and even with this victory the hornets are now only 31 and 39 on the season so A very rough performance for the Hawks. Not entirely expected because the Hawks were a six-point underdog as well in Las Vegas in this game. But still, uh, a weird game to say the least. There's some weird things that we'll get into lineup-wise and the fact that you know actually the Hawks started very well in this game. It was the opposite of Saturday Saturday Night's game in which I referenced that already. But uh, even tonight, as as I record on Monday, the Hawks actually started with a 15-7 lead in this game. There was some really good effort and some uh, good energy and a nice actually a nice a really nice uh, uh, you know interior pass from Dwight Howard. In the first quarter uh, I thought he was very very good early on uh, but that that lead you know quickly evaporated and that was basically the last time the Hawks would lead in the game um, from the from the end of the uh, second quarter I mean so, sorry from the end of the first quarter to the beginning of the second quarter um, the Hornets closed the first quarter on a 12-4 run to tie the game at 19 each and they scored the first seven of the second quarter uh, overall the Hornets won on a 27 to 6 run over the two quarters, and that was basically the end of that. The Hawks did cut the lead uh, early on in the fourth quarter, uh, sorry, early on in the third quarter, to a six point margin. But uh, from there, it was basically a runaway. You know, Charlotte led for, uh, led by more than 20 points at a few at a few different stops in the fourth quarter, and it was a lot of garbage time in this particular game. So. From an overall standpoint, you know nothing to ride home about defensively. The Hawks allowed 116.5 points per 100 possessions. That's very, very bad defense. Um, in fact, the uh, Hornets shot 50, 50% from the floor and 40, 40% from three, uh, 12 of 30 from beyond the three-point arc. And uh, again, given the way Charlotte's played recently, that is not very encouraging. Um, offensively, the Hawks had their moments in this game, but for the most part, they really struggled. Um, at least as a team, only scoring. I mean, you know, the 99.9. Points per 100 possessions in this game it was not terrible by any means, but again, a lot of that was garbage time. Uh, the Hawks ended up scoring 22 points in the fourth quarter, which is nothing great, but uh, a really rough, uh, not, a, not a rough start, but a really, really rough stretch between the first and second quarters, as I referenced earlier, and you know, down the stretch, there was a lot of uh, you know sort of ugliness going on. Uh, I actually just read a tweet as I record this from Chris Villamore of the AJC indicating that the Indiana Pacers are about to win against the Utah Jazz. With that, um, as you're listening to this, the Hawks now lead by only one game for the for the number five seed. So that's an, another part of this backdrop is that the Hawks uh, really kind of struggling at it at, it, at an inopportune time. Uh, but going back to this game on Monday evening, um, you know, offensively, not not a lot to write home about. There was a couple of strong performances that we'll get to individually, but uh, as a team, 44% from the field, 32% from three. I did I did like that the Hawks took a lot of threes in this game. They, they attempted 37 threes, but only four of ten from the free throw line, and that was not dragged down by Dwight Howard. Actually, actually he was only one of two in this game so that's sort of an unacceptable number that uh, in a closer game would have bitten the hawks it ended up not mattering because of the of, of the wide margin here but you know shooting 40% from the free throw line is never a good thing for the hawks so in general, a very, very rough performance, even though it was not exactly a shock that that happened, considering just how important Paul Millsap is and how bad the Hawks have been without Millsap in the lab. We will, we will double-check on that again here later in the podcast, but I wanted to go ahead and get in front of that now, is that uh, it, was a, it was a bad loss, but one that was not, uh, not a shock, at least to me. Before we get into the individual stuff on this podcast to sort of break down the game, I do want to talk to you a little bit about our friends at SeatGeek. The NBA season is in full swing, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being at the game for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's courtside, the club seats, the upper level, or really anywhere you want in the arena. I have a SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere with just a few taps on my iPhone screen. I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game throughout the season. Uh, with that said, we're in the middle of, it, of the NCAA tournament right now, and I would definitely recommend uh, going out and checking SeatGeek. Uh, you know, the closest regional to Atlanta is going to be Memphis, but there's a lot of people uh, that listen to this podcast from around the country, and there's, there might be a regional near you. If you want to go tr- try to find the, the cheapest ticks possible for this weekend, go do that on SeatGeek. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. SeatGeek also wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every single ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. That's called deal score. And you'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every single ticket you buy at SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, my listeners, listeners to this podcast, get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. In order to get the $20 rebate, you must download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code LOHawks, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOHawks today to take advantage of this fantastic offer. Thanks to the good people at SeatGeek, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, with that, we'll get into some individual stuff here. Um, on the bright side, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. You know, Dwight Howard had a pretty good first half, at least in this game. I thought he definitely showed some more energy than he had uh, been showing in the last couple of games. Dwight was pretty vocal over the last few days about just sort of the urgency necessary for the Hawks. And uh, he backed that up early on with one of his best halves of the, of the recent past in the first half. You know, in general, in the game, uh, he was actually minus twenty-two, which was his second worst uh, on on the team. I sort of, I, I, I won't, I won't call that super indicative in this game, even though I didn't think he was great beyond the first half, or even the first, you know, quarter and a half of this game, but still. 13 points, 10 rebounds, uh, and three assists for Dwight, six of nine shooting. I thought he was just fine here, uh, but for the most part, you know, it was good to see him early on, at least flying around to a point that we definitely did not see. I was critical of him both on Thursday and Saturday for his uh, energy and especially defensively. I thought he was better here, so that's worth, that's worth mentioning. Uh, Dennis Shooter bounced back a little bit offensively in this game 20 points, six assists for Dennis. He had two block shots, which was amusing to me. Uh, but mo- most importantly, I think in my in my opinion, was eight of seventeen from the from the floor. He had really really struggled the last the last two games uh, to the point where Mike Budenholzer was even asked by some media after the Saturday night game just about Dennis's struggles, even with his confidence. And we all had a good laugh when Bud pointed out that Dennis has not struggled with confidence, and we saw that again here. He was not uh, not shy as usual about shooting, but I thought Dennis was you know easily the most productive offensive player on the floor for the Hawks, even if he was minus twelve and defensively had some issues against Kemba Walker at times. But I thought uh, Dennis was pretty good for the most part here. Uh, Elsewhere, Tim Hardaway Jr. got the start in place of Kent Bazemore. No surprise there. He will be getting the start, at least according to Christopher Moore's report, uh, talking to Mike Budenholzer before this game. He will be starting in place of Bazemore for Bazemore's entire absence. That's not a surprise at all, considering Tim is definitely the next guy in line there. Uh, He was okay here. 11 points on 11 shots is not ideal, but not awful. Uh, Only one of five from three, which is you know substandard. But Tim's had a couple of good shooting nights here recently, so he's probably due for a stinker or two from the on-three-point arc if you go by his baseline overall. And I thought he was okay. Um, Nothing special, but uh, he was just fine. Uh, elsewhere in, in the starting lineup, Ursula uh, Ilyasova had 13 points and 6 rebounds. He was a plus 6. He was uh, the only guy in the starting lineup that was a plus in this game, and I thought that was pretty indicative. You know, Only 3-9 from, from, from beyond the arc here, but Ursula continues to play very well uh, offensively. I think he works well with Dennis Schroeder when given the opportunity to do so in the pick and roll, and I think you know he's definitely been a bright spot since, he's, since his acquisition uh, in, in, in the trade from Philly. I think he's been definitely about as good as anyone could have rationally hoped him to be, and he was good in this game. Finally, Tabo Safalosha, 11 points, eight rebounds, four assists for Tabo. I thought he was much, much better here than the last two nights. As you might recall, uh, Tabo did not even play 20 minutes in either game on Thursday and Saturday, but he, he played 28 minutes here. His defense was uh, you know not awesome, but, but not bad at all. And his offense, he was definitely more efficient than we've seen him in the recent past. He made three of his five three-pointers in this game, uh, and Tabo was uh, in general kind of getting back to what Tabo should be doing. Uh, the bigger issue for me, in this game, in addition to just the Hawks not playing very well because of the fact that they're just not a good basketball team without, Paul M- without Paul Millsap, which we'll get to here in a second was some of the, some of the rotation stuff in the first half did not make a whole lot of sense. I almost got into that earlier, but uh, going back to that 27 to six overall run that the Hornets had in the first half that coincided, uh, not, not entirely, but at least at the outset to, uh, Mike, but are somehow deploying a lineup that included both Ryan Kelly and Chris Humphreys together in the first half of a competitive basketball game. Uh, you know, you might you might understand that I've I've defended Ryan Kelly at times on this podcast. I actually, like I actually kind of like Ryan Kelly, but uh, knowing that he hadn't played in quite some time, he looked like a guy who hadn't played in quite some time. Did not play well here at all. 11 minutes he was minus 17. It was not entirely his fault, but I could not imagine a situation where he would be playing minutes in a in a game that the Hawks were trying to win, and they obviously were trying to win this game here, and they played everybody else in the lineup. So I, that was baffling to me. And of course, they you know, Bud actually exacerbated that by playing him alongside Humphrey, So. That was baffling to me. It coincided with a monster run by Charlotte that puts momentum in the game. I, I won't. I won't tell you now that the Hawks would have won this game had they not done that. But uh, it was not a coincidence at all that uh, that, that those two players uh, resulted in a, in a very very strong negative rating when they played together. And uh, for the most part, that was a disaster as well. They played uh, during that time. They were, they were playing that. They were playing those two guys alongside the two point guard lineup of Dennis Schroeder, Malcolm Delaney, and Torian Prince on the wing. I just did not understand that at all. Uh, there are a couple of line-up things in this game that just were curious, but that was definitely the lead among them. Was Ryan Kelly playing more minutes than Mike Muscala? Uh, I just don't understand that anyway. I understand you might want to try Ryan Kelly uh, out, but uh, not the time to do it when you're playing without Paul Mustap, I'd imagine, and uh, there you go. Um, elsewhere on the bench, uh, Torian Prince was the one guy who played big minutes off the bench, played 30 minutes, took 13 shots, made only four of them uh, Eleven points, four rebounds. Torian had an up and down game, as he is wont to do in his rookie season. There was some positives, there were some negatives, as usual. Um, you know, he's pretty aggressive. Torian's not a guy who's shy about shooting the ball, getting up 13 shots to uh, you know second most shots on the team behind Dennis shooter in this game. They needed Torian to play. He was the first guy off the bench in both ha- in both halves. Not a surprise at all, considering he's pre- pretty much the sixth man if you look at the roster that was available in this game. We've seen Torian's been in the rotation even when the rest of the roster is healthy. So without Millsap and Bazemore, we saw a lot of him. And with good reason, I just, you know, he didn't play super well, but also wasn't horrible either. Um, elsewhere uh, Malcolm Delaney was the backup point guard in this game I thought Malcolm was absolutely awful in this game I, I as you might as you might recall uh, if you listen to this podcast regularly I am a regular defender of Delaney I will certainly go to bat for him on a regular basis but in this game he was awful minus 24 uh, 16 minutes that's not always indicative, but it, I, thought, I thought it actually was here four turnovers one assist for Malcolm this is might have been the worst game of the year from Malcolm Uh at, at, at a bad time, I thought he was actually pretty decent, uh, decent, decent-ish on Saturday. I played, I played some audio for you guys on the podcast about Mike Budelski talking about Malcolm's defense. That's the one thing that he's definitely better at than Jose Calderon. But in this game, uh, he did not have it going on either end of the floor, and uh, not a not a ringing endorsement for Malcolm when he's trying to keep his job over Jose Calderon. So we'll see what happens on Wednesday when the Hawks go to Washington. But it would not be a surprise based on this game if he was uh, reassessed and they go back to Calderon in that game for one off, even though. I will say that that's a really that's a really bad matchup for Calderon because of the fact that he had to go against John Wall at some point and that's not going to end well for Jose. But uh either way I think the big takeaway now, I mean, is you know, it's not revolutionary thinking, but the Hawks have a pretty bad situation at backup point guard. I, I, I do think Malcolm Delaney. The, the stuff about him not being an NBA player is wrong, but at the same time, he is certainly a below-average backup point guard. If you're talking about a second-string guy, he'd be a nice third guy for sure. And I think you know, he, I think he's probably better than what he showed as far as offense this year. But the defense is solid, but the offense has just not never come around. And I, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on him because it's a guy who uh, you know you, you never want to pile on a guy when he, when he just played his worst game of the year. But uh, he was definitely very very bad in this game, and that was. Clear. On the second watch as well. Um, elsewhere, DeAndre Bembry appeared in this game. It was very, very late when he checked in, but uh, it was garbage time. But DeAndre was recalled from the D League. I'd not even mentioned that on yesterday's podcast, but uh, DeAndre came back. He was called back up from the D League as a result of the injuries, and that was a, that was sort of a no-brainer move from the Hawks. He actually played, you know, again ten minutes, two points, three assists, and two rebounds. Uh, DeAndre is zero for two from three. He's still yet to make a three-pointer in the NBA. Which is uh, kind of baffling, uh, not not baffling in the fact that he's a good shooter because he's not right now. You know, DeAndre had a couple of good shooting performances in the D League for the most part, but at, th- at the NBA level, he's just not found the range just yet. I still like DeAndre, and he was actually plus seven in the fourth quarter when he played. But uh, just just more of a note that he actually came back and got in the game here more than anything in terms of his actual play. Uh, Mike Muscala, who I mentioned before, did not play a lot of minutes here. Uh, was plus eight and six minutes in the fourth quarter, five points, two assists. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that there's a lot to take away there other than the fact that I just don't understand him playing less minutes than Ryan Kelly and Chris Humphreys. Uh, Humphreys played nine minutes. He did actually rebound to a plus two based on that late stretch, but his his first stretch was, a, was an abject disaster alongside Ryan Kelly. And uh, to be fair to Humphreys, that was not going to work for either one of those guys playing together. So uh, I don't want to keep running on that, but that's that. And finally, Jose Calderon, uh, six minutes, two points, was a plus eight. Again, that entire lineup in the fourth quarter did well. But uh, not not a lot to take away there in terms of the bench in this particular game. Uh, with all that said, a couple of big picture takeaways here. The Millsap injury is the biggest thing. Uh, he was all, obviously been ruled out as well for Wednesday. Um, if he's able to come back after Wednesday and you know play healthily for the rest of the season, that's a big thing for the Hawks. I've been talking about this on Twitter a little bit on Monday before the game. Then that if, if Millsap has even has any longer of an injury, uh, that's going to be a problem. Mike Budenholzer did uh, did, uh, did apparently tell uh, at least reportedly tell Chris Bumgarner of the AJC the fact that uh, he's, he's that, 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 that the Hawks are hoping that he'll be back after after two games, that it's more of a short-term thing, I believe, was the reporting from Biblamore. And that's that's encouraging, just because you've seen how bad the Hawks are without Paul Millsap. There's not a lot of teams in the league that Atlanta would be favored over without Millsap. In fact, I think it's a very, very, very small list. Maybe Brooklyn and maybe Philly and Los Angeles, potentially Phoenix. That might might be the full list of teams. Uh, I guess maybe Sacramento now that they don't have their full complement of the roster, but still... It's a very small list. The Hawks will be favored over on a neutral court without Millsap. That's kind of just speaks to how bad the roster is and how good Paul Millsap has been this year and really his entire time with the Hawks. So we'll keep an eye on that, but hopefully he is back on Friday because the Hawks desperately need him, as you saw in this game. As for Kent Bazemore, uh, a little bit longer probably uh, on, on the shelf. His absence is not quite as glaring because of the emergence of Prince and uh, just the fact that the Hawks have just more credible players that they're not relying too much on Bazemore this year. But uh, even then, you know, being without being – Being without Bazemore is a thing that matters. There's no question about that. The Hawks are not as good without Bazemore as they are with him in the lineup, even if it's it's a much smaller gap between him and his backups than it is from Millsap to his backups. Uh, finally, Mike Dunleavy was actually active for this game on Monday. It kind of remains to be seen as, as to it, whether he's actually ready to play or not, but he was in, u- in uniform. Mike, Buden- uh, sorry, Chris Withmore of the AJC reported that Dunleavy was probably going to be getting close to playing as he was being active in this game. Uh, he was definitely an emergency-only player here, and uh, obviously the Hawks have no penalty for having him be active because of the fact that, both uh, Millsack and baseball out of the lineup, but uh, something to keep an eye on. I, I'm, I'm on record as saying Don't you know, I want him to be healthy, but I, if he is healthy and everybody else is healthy, he should not be playing in a rotation for this team. But uh, maybe Bud will go back to him at some point. I'm hoping not. But uh, you kind of never know at this point in time, as we saw on Monday evening. Um, with all that said last thing that, w- that we'll hit on in today's podcast is the schedule and a little bit a little bit of projection stuff before this loss for the Hawks uh, 538 was projecting Atlanta to finish 40, 43 and 39 after the two losses over the weekend started at least on Thursday and Friday Thursday and Saturday I should say and um again it, it's it kind of all comes down to, to Paul Millsap but the Hawks can post you know after this loss the Hawks um, are now of course for uh 37 and 33 on the year at least they have 12 games left if the Hawks can win, you know, four of those twelve, if they can go four and eight and get to forty-one and forty-one, that will basically take them to, uh, I believe, to a pretty, pretty comfortable spot in the playoffs. Um, that's actually a concern at this point. Uh, it's it really isn't if Millsap comes back, but if for some, for some reason that he's out, uh, you're looking at uh, maybe some tightness in terms of the Hawks getting into the playoffs at all. Uh, I, I will note that the Hawks do play Brooklyn twice more, as well as Phoenix and Philadelphia, so they have some winning, they have some winnable games here. Um, even if Paul was out. Line, they could win some of those games, but uh, the notion that the Hawks are going to be getting up, getting up into the four seed, it's basically gone by the wayside, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Only a one game uh, advantage over the Pacers for the number five seed. There is something to be said for wanting to get the six seed over the five seed if that means that the that, that the Hawks will avoid the Cleveland Cavaliers in round two. With that said, I think the Hawks have a much better chance against a potentially hobbled Kyle Lowry and the Raptors in round one as the four seed versus the five seed uh, than they would against either the Celtics or the Wizards in round one at this point in time. Although, I will say, you know, Boston's definitely a better matchup than Washington. Uh, lots to get to there, but uh, with 12 games left, it's a little bit too early to get into specific matchups, and because we don't know too much about Paul and Kent, it's tough to project wins and losses, but I think it's pretty safe to assume the Hawks are not going to be making that charge to the four seed that some people potentially. Envisioned a couple of weeks ago. Um, With all that said, that's going to wrap things up for uh, this podcast today, on this fine Monday evening into Tuesday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. We have a good show coming to to you tomorrow with Chris Barnwall to sort of double recap this Hornets game, get get some big picture stuff. He covers the Hornets as well as the league at large. Chris has been on the podcast before. We had a good interview, and that's going to run tomorrow on the podcast, on Wednesday's podcast. So stay tuned for that, and uh, that's going to do it. So uh, enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you on Wednesday.